Welcome back to Chipstock Investor. I am really excited to have with us today, Danny Shapiro, Vice President of Automotive at NVIDIA. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. It's great to be here with you. Danny, I'm really, really anxious to hear what you have to say about this because, of course, everyone has been swept up by this generative AI craze, but you're the head of automotive, which is also doing quite well, but has almost been kind of silenced <laughs> here in recent months. What kind of brought us to the questions that we have for you is we started thinking about all of this generative AI that's going into powering services like ChatGPT, this ability to sort of create intelligent responses to simple text prompts. But is this basically like some of the same technology working behind the scenes in self-driving cars? AI is a, a very broad topic, and we've been working in AI for you know, over a decade and bringing really smart technology to the car. So the goal of an autonomous vehicle, of course, is to replace the human behind the wheel. And so we need sensors and we need very powerful supercomputers to process all the data from the sensors to navigate safely. And so we're using many different forms of artificial intelligence to analyze the camera information, the radar information, the LIDAR information, and basically build a picture in the brain of the car um, to understand everything that's going on. Now, where generative AI comes in, you know, everyone's familiar with chat GPT, and that's text to text. And we're doing a lot of work with text to image or text to video. But even any data stream comes in. So you can go image to image, image to 3D, image to video, video to video. There's so many different permutations of generative AI. And so it's not necessarily about um, the car driving itself using generative AI, but instead using generative AI in the process of developing the systems. For an example, we can drive one of our test vehicles, record all the video from that drive, but then use generative AI to create different scenarios or permutations on that drive so we can test everything that could go wrong on the real roads. And so you would never be able to drive every scenario, but with generative AI, we can create additional scenarios to test and validate. Um, but also, if you think about designing a car, somebody's building a 3D model of a car, we can use generative AI to augment the idea flow of that designer. So we can take a particular design and generate a lot of different permutations. So that designer can then experiment to maybe help them creatively in ways that they hadn't initially thought of. Uh, generative AI can help in laying out the factory floor. We can plan something and generative AI will come up with a lot of different permutations and help optimize the workflow in that factory. And then of course, you know, inside the car, you can have uh, an AI concierge that would know, be trained about everything about your car and could be an expert and help you learn about how to use your car, troubleshoot. It can be used in uh, maintenance and repair. So there's just a massive number of applications of all types of generative AI within just the automotive industry. Hmm. Interesting. I'm curious about this, if I can get your thoughts on this a little bit more, Danny, because it does seem like your automotive segment has hit some sort of important inflection point. You've sailed through a billion dollars in revenue over the last year, kind of 
maybe I guess I could say very quietly because no one's no one's paying a whole lot of attention to that, at least in the financial world. What is the primary driver of that? Is it is it the generative AI kind of all years and years of, of research and development coming to fruition in one particular area of the car or in the development of the car? Or is it kind of across the whole spectrum that you just laid out? Yeah, so we've been working with automakers for over two decades and still a relatively small part of NVIDIA, but it is, is growing nicely. We have a pipeline now of $14 billion of NVIDIA technology, hardware and software going inside the cars over the next six years. And so that's companies like Mercedes-Benz and Jaguar Land Rover and, and Volvo, Polestar and, and many companies in China uh, and others around the world. Um, it's a sticky business, so it takes a long time for us to get into the vehicles, but then we're talking many, many years of development and deployment of those vehicles across many model years. And now also we're creating what are called software-defined cars. So it's not just us transacting and selling a part that goes into these cars, but we have an ongoing, very tight relationship and video engineers and our automotive customer engineers working together and developing software for the life of the car. So it's a very, very long-term strategic partnership that we have with them. And then that revenue increases over time. So there's a ramp as the installed base of these vehicles increases. There's new business opportunities for the automakers, recurring revenue streams. And then also in many cases, NVIDIA has a revenue sharing arrangement with automakers. So that's where we see growth potential as the installed base grows, the revenue to our partner and to NVIDIA also grows. With respect okay. to generative AI, particularly, we're, we haven't really started that yet, right? So we've introduced our AI cockpit and what we call concierge. And so that is having the avatars. So again, pulling from other parts of NVIDIA, the animation, the, um, the ability to do real time. If you've seen Toy Jensen and Jensen's keynotes, right? That kind of technology can come into the car. So whether it's a kiosk, whether it's your center stack of the vehicle, you can have somebody that you can converse with, that can advise you, that can make recommendations for you, that knows your calendar. So we're not just using AI outside the car to process uh, all the sensor data, but we can process information, whether it's voice, gestures, facial recognition, driver and occupant monitoring for safety. Uh, there's just a lot of great applications for AI. But the benefit, of course, too, is because it's a software-defined car, if you put the NVIDIA Drive platform in the vehicle today, you can continue to update the software and add new features, new capabilities, new services over the life of that vehicle. And again, that's what's so exciting about the auto industry now. Mm. So it sounds like up until this point, as far as it concerns AI or generative AI, most of that work has been on the back end, sort of in the data center training, training the model that would eventually drive the car. So now it sounds like maybe the biggest opportunity laying ahead, or at least maybe in the immediate term anyways, you have those Orin chips, the drive Orin chip, upcoming drive Thor chip. Is that sort of where we'll start to see generative AI in a car for the very first time? Absolutely, right? You have the supercomputer, you have the infrastructure, like you said, in the cloud for training. Now you have that same architecture, very powerful, high-performance system in the vehicle that can run future software applications. So now you're not gonna have to wait multiple years. The platform's ready to go, it's just like your phone. You have platform, 
It's in people's hands, software update, turns on new features, new capabilities. The benefit again for NVIDIA now is that our architecture is more general purpose. New AI models will run on NVIDIA. If a company has tuned their hardware for a specific deep neural network, and all of a sudden something like ChatGPT comes along and it doesn't run it efficiently, they have to go back to the, the drawing board. And that's where we've been really well positioned because whether it was computer vision, whether it was the early deep neural networks, convolutional neural networks, now transformers, like GPT is, is a, a generative pre-trained transformer, all of that runs beautifully on NVIDIA. And that's where we're seeing demand then in the cloud at the edge. Um, our solution runs it great. There's all this talk with you know services like ChatGPT. I'm thinking about stable diffusion. Qualcomm kind of had that breakthrough where they were able to run stable diffusion on the edge on a device for the first time. But actually what you're talking about doing is you're not going to be running the inference in a data center somewhere. The whole system has to run on the vehicle itself so the inference can be done locally. It would, is that a correct assumption? For, absolutely. For any kind of self-driving, it needs to be on the vehicle. You're not going to go back to the cloud to run your pedestrian detection algorithm, right? It needs mm -hmm. to happen in a fraction of a second, and the, the car is self-contained. Um, the data comes in, processed, actuation happens. Other services that are not safety critical uh, and may require their data can be a hybrid model where some of it could be processed on the car, but if it needs to go outside, if you're asking about the weather, you're trying to get movie times, a restaurant recommendation, the large data sets then of real-time information, um, it's obvious, obviously will connect to the cloud um, for that. The other thing we can so, do, of course, is with large language models, we can train them specifically to be very knowledgeable, to avoid any kind of hallucination. So putting guardrails on it, but also training with specific data. So it's gonna know everything about your car. It might not know things about another manufacturer's car because it really doesn't mm -hmm. need to. Maybe like vehicle to everything or vehicle to vehicle infrastructure isn't really a necessity then at this particular point for no. what you're working on. Right. So I mean, that, that's a really good point. We we think V to V, V to I, vehicle to infrastructure is great. But for you to base your self-driving technology on it, it has to be ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. So if you're only going to detect 10% of the cars out there, that's not going to work. So it becomes an extra sensor. It gives you additional information, but you can't rely on it. Um, it'd be great if you knew what the streetlight colors were um, because you're getting a radio signal. But if you go into a town that doesn't have that infrastructure, then what are you going to do? So unless it's mandated, unless every car has it, unless every intersection has it, it really is not something you can rely on, but it's an extra layer of redundancy that can help when it exists. Is that something that could possibly happen at any point in the near future that the way you just explained it sounds like that's a really really long ways off yeah i don't think it's near future at all because in reality you're going to have to have every city mandated every car has to have this you know receiver transmitter combo and what do you do about the over a billion cars on the road today so unless there's something that comes out from a regulatory standpoint, um, it's, it's really not going to be groundbreaking. There are areas now where we see um, 
new roadways being built, new infrastructure being put in. So there's a lot of experimentation going on, but it's it's a huge, huge investment to, to do it everywhere. And that wouldn't really make sense for the car to tell the car to, you know, when to switch on and off some sort of vehicle to vehicle or to infrastructure radio receiver. Right. And so that's where I think it needs to be all in everywhere. Or if not, it's just like a little added feature that your car maybe senses some of the other cars, but like I said, it can't rely on it. It's just, it's an extra little layer that sometimes gives the car more information. I mean, how great would it be if, if every car that would go over some black ice would instantly transmit to the cloud and every car in that region would then know, hey, there's black ice on this road. But every car then needs to have that system if you're going to, to rely on it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That makes sense. So what you've been working on is, I heard this illustration before that the modern vehicle that you're working on is literally a data center on wheels because you have to pull in all of that infrastructure that would typically take place in the cloud, the, the AI inference in the cloud has to be pulled onto the vehicle then. This is a monumental undertaking. That's right. We, we first have to train it in the clouds. The training happens, we collect data, but also we use generative AI to synthetically create data. Like I said, you can't possibly encounter everything by driving around collecting data. So we can generate bad weather, blinding sun, uh, at sunrise or sunset, children running out in front of the car, chasing after a soccer ball. So we're able to train and test and validate in the cloud. We build the models by recording data. Uh, we generate synthetic data to augment that, to create all different kinds of scenarios. Then in the vehicle, you're right, it's running on the drive platform in real time, no connectivity to the cloud. It has to be able to make those real-time decisions by processing that data in a fraction of a second. As far as on the car itself goes, you've trained this huge model. You figured out a way to shrink it down to such a size that it can now fit on the on-vehicle computer. Um, now you're, you're out there in the real world, the car's driving you somewhere, and it's presented with a situation that it has never explicitly been fed before, either synthetically or with, with real world mm -hmm. data during the training. What, what happens at that point? So it's not just one big model. There's actually a lot of different deep neural networks running simultaneously, and they're okay. redundant and diverse for safety. So there might be something that's just looking for lanes. There's something that's reading signs. There's detectors for cars and trucks and bikes. There's something called free space, which is the opposite. It's looking for the absence of things. And so it's basically cross-referencing each other and knowing what to avoid and where it's safe to drive. So if something falls off the back of a truck in front of you, it may or may not be able to identify it, but it knows it's an object. And so it's going to have the car change lanes or stop. It's going to flag those things it doesn't recognize. And this is where the, the data kind of can go back to the cloud and can be used to train and make the software better over time. There may be animals, if it was, you know, just hypothetically say we trained it in the city and then you go out in the country, all of a sudden there's a cow on the side of the road, it's never seen a cow. What we can do is train it how to recognize cows or deer or other wildlife as well. And then also it can learn that 
different wildlife move differently, just like a motorcycle moves differently than a bike moves differently than a truck. And so all that is part of the vocabulary that you continue to train this artificial intelligence system to recognize more and more things and be able to predict then how these different parts of the world interact and move. This is really fascinating because now, now I'm just thinking this problem could become a regional issue as well. So maybe do you have to have algorithms that are specific, say, to North America and then slightly different sure. algorithms for Europe? Absolutely. It's, it's like a language. And so you have different signs. So the systems need to be trained on different types of signs. You have different lane markings. In some parts of the world, you drive on different sides of the street. So it's not just flip the uh, x-axis and, and continue, right? So there's different traffic patterns. There's different laws or customs, behaviors. And so absolutely, there is a, a different language for different parts of the world. You know, in the United States right now, there's different laws in different states about what you can and cannot do when it comes to operating autonomous vehicles. And so we're really working to try to have a unified set of rules and laws um, so that you don't need different versions of the software for whenever you cross uh, a state line. But I, I do believe that yeah, there's definitely going to be regional differences for some time. Ultimately, there could be some unification uh, in terms of what's allowed. But again, you have all these local ways that, that people drive and what is acceptable and, uh, and how it looks quite different. Mm -hmm. And we have development efforts going in and, and going on throughout the world, many different regions where we're developing, testing, and have customers, of course, globally. Your partner, Mercedes, over in Europe, they don't have raccoons in Europe. Not a deal, not a big deal for them, but car in North America, raccoons crossing the road all the time, the algorithm's not going to get thrown off by that. That's right. <laughs> One other question here, I'm, I'm curious about how you're approaching this problem, because I think it's, it's quite unique the way I understand it versus some of your competitors that are also entering the automotive segment. So you're coming at it from historically graphics, accelerated computing. Uh, you have Qualcomm, which has grown nicely in the space, but they're coming at it from say mobile connectivity, mobile eye, basically just the, the processors themselves, the, the on vehicle system. What's unique about NVIDIA's offering compared to the other the other big two in, in this up and coming mm -hmm. field? So as you mentioned, our approach is from the data center, from supercomputing. This is an enormous computing task. We're essentially trying to replicate the human brain. We're taking you know, the eyes and, and ears, the, the senses of the, the human and using cameras, radar, LIDAR, but then the brain, all that information that feeds into our brains needs to go somewhere. And that information is it's just basic data, right? A frame of video is just a bunch of colored pixels. And so we need to use artificial intelligence to figure out what's in that frame of video. And so that's what requires a massive amount of computing. So we have the advantage of having the same architecture for training those deep neural networks and inference in the car. So that's a huge um, win. The cycle of developing the software will never end. We will continue to make it better, just like your phone you're never going to be done with the software on your phone. You're always going to get updates. That's where we see the car going. And so that development cycle of training, teaching it new things, new capabilities, making it better, not just recognizing a pedestrian, 
but maybe you need to recognize a distracted pedestrian because they're going to behave very differently and your car needs to know is that person looking down at their cell phone just going to walk across the street in front of you which happens and so the car will get smarter and smarter the greater performance it has really the number of tops we call it trillions of operations per second the amount of compute on board lets you run more algorithms and increases the safety of that car uh, the people inside and the people around that car so we came top down figuring out okay all the data center the security um, the encryption the virtualization all the things you want handling your bank you know is now we're applying that make it automotive grade and bring it down to the car it's not some little mobile processor that's underpowered it's not a smart camera approach for us it's supercomputing down into the car and then the other part is you want to have headroom you want to be able to make sure that car is not obsolete the day you buy it so we see car makers now saying let me put a lot of computing in this vehicle i'm going to use some of it now and i'm going to save some because i just know we're going to come up with some really cool applications that i'm going to want to roll out to that car next year or the year after and if i don't have any headroom my car is obsolete and so people are making the big investment in the car they want to know that it's going to have legs into the future and so thus this this big jump i mentioned earlier the orange chip and then i think starting with model year 2025 they'll some cars will have the thor chip I, that's a big it was a pretty big leap if i remember but correctly it's huge and we went from our generation that's been in production for some time xavier was 30 tops just to give you a benchmark orn is now over 250 and thor goes to 2000 so it's this big wow. hockey stick of performance because the complexity of the ai models is just taking off again talking about just billions to trillions of parameters um, required to do these very complex ai calculations yeah absolutely that's that's incredible you've touched on it a bit here maybe one last question though because this is this is evolving so rapidly everyone's looking for you know that moment where we can say okay the cars are actually full self-driving what's what's the future look like say over the course of the next 10 years where do you see this uh, this yeah, heading? definitely will be there i mean you have cars on the road today that are driving passengers around and there's nobody behind the wheel uh it's certain you know times of day there might be certain regions but we're, we're well on our way in that direction i think for us we know the industry knows we didn't hit the targets that were set you know almost a decade ago everyone's saying by 2020 we're going to be there it's complicated and um we want to make sure we do it right safety is our primary concern and so we're not going to roll anything out until we know it's safe but we see areas where we can deploy and certain conditions uh, we're doing a lot of work off-road in construction and mining and agriculture where we've reduced the risk the complexity is not as great and so we're making great strides there the other thing we've done is brought the technology down into driver assist mode so you still have the cameras radar lidar the driver's still in control but it's keeping them safe it's protecting them it's another layer and so I think the more we can refine the technology, we can prove that it's safe to regulators, work with them on new legislation, we'll get to a place uh, within the decade 
where we're able to have these vehicles driving. Hmm. Very cool. At what point will I be able to interact with an avatar? What model year roughly would I be able to pick up a car and have an avatar in it to interact well, with I, while the I car's driving? I mean, that, that's a lot easier than, than is it? putting you in the back seat and letting the car drive itself. So we're working on some of those systems. And I think in, in a couple of years, uh, it, it'll be no problem. I mean, we're going to see this in retail. I mean, you're already seeing a lot more in terms of chatbots and, and the kind of real-time animation. So uh, that's not too far off. Fascinating to imagine where we'll be in another decade. Uh, I, I, I know I've, some of the first things I wrote about NVIDIA when I was starting my journey as like a writer was about NVIDIA self-driving vehicles. And I remember getting so excited about the race car, the, uh, the electric race Robo car. Race. That you were, yeah, yeah. No, that, it's, it's cool. So cool. But we've like come so far from that in not, not very many years. Exciting stuff. You're right. It's, it's not just even about that driving experience in the car, but every aspect of the auto industry is changing. The way people are designing the cars, the way they're engineering the cars, uh, integrating that to building the factory, all the robotics. We could do a whole session on the factory of the future and how AI is transforming the manufacturing and assembly of cars, but then all the way through the retail. So imagine you know you go into a dealership or even you just do it on your 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 laptop. You could have that avatar that you have conversed with to help you design your car. Uh, you could see a configurator and customize it, and it looks photo real. Um, you could have it generative AI create all these different scenes to see how the car looks, you know, in different parts of the world. Um, you could even go on a virtual test drive and try out all the different features inside the car. Maybe you do it in virtual reality, and then even the repairing of the car or the, or the car knows when it needs to get repaired. Um, predictive AI will be able to to foresee potential problems. And maybe then that car just drives itself to the shop for repair and you don't even have to deal with it and it's back the next morning. So yeah, I think there's gonna be a, a lot of really exciting ways that AI touches every aspect of, of cars. Yeah, the use case is just, the boundaries can continue to expand. Is that like, at what point do you like kind of bump up against, you know, high, the high performance computing department and that becomes their realm and no longer well, automotive? It, it's interesting that, um, you know, we have a saying here, it's called one team. It's one company. It's not like, this is my department, I own that, and that's your department, and you have to stay there. But there's just so much collaboration. And so that high-performance computing is leveraged. We have a small engineering team, and we take that fundamental technology from the data center, we borrow it, and we put it inside the car. So it's very collaborative. And from an accounting perspective, um, everything in the car is automotive. We sell a lot to the auto companies that go in their data center. That gets reported out as our data center business. As much as I'd love it to be auto, it's it's separate. But it all it's all NVIDIA, so it's all good. Yeah, that's a financial world thing. We like to compartmentalize things because we have no ability to um, think abstractly, but. Right. <laughs> you, Danny, do you have any any other final words on, on this, uh, it's, what's going it's on It's amazing, here? when I joined, the company and got into the automotive sector well over a decade ago, um, it felt transformative then. And it just continues to be so dynamic and, and really exciting and the opportunities for computerizing the car, making it programmable. Uh, some people call it digitalization, but 
every aspect of the industry is, is really being transformed. Every job within an automaker is, uh, is being transformed. Danny, I, again, I appreciate you coming on and talking with, you, with me about this. You answered the question, the initial question I had, but uh, whet my appetite for even more uh, to learn about this. There's so much going on in the automotive space right now. So thank you again so much for coming on and explaining some things. Absolutely. It's a pleasure talking to you. Take care.